Hey, uh, we're wrapping up our, uh, our series, Failing Forward, today. For the last eight weeks, we've been um, looking at the life of Moses. Uh, we've, seen, we've seen that, you know, Moses is not a, not a perfect dude. A uh, lot of mistakes, a lot of, lot of crashing and burning, and yet and every time that he does, he fails forward. He fails in such a way that, that God, like, pulls him up and brings him along and doesn't quit on him. I have a friend. He, uh, he was... He was promoted to like the president of a of a Christian college when he was maybe in his uh, 40s, something like that. His uh, wife got really sick uh, to the point that um, you know she became almost immobile. She couldn't uh, really move very well, and she started to need uh, like a full time caretaker. While this is happening, her her uh, her health is failing. His star is rising. He, um, he starts to be the man. Like, everyone's like, oh, you know, before this college, we, didn't, we thought we were going to go out of business. We didn't know. And he was really turning it around. He, um, he, and he wasn't even that great at, like, you know, being a college president. He just, there was something about him. He was charismatic, and people started to, to, to flock and get excited about what he was doing. In fact, uh, his wife's caretaker was his biggest fan. That was why she uh, took the job to be his wife's full-time caretaker uh, because, you know, she thought he was amazing. She wanted to help out uh, his, his, his work and his ministry. Uh, she then confessed to him that she was in love with him. And it wasn't fair that uh, his wife could not provide um, the kind of encouragement and appreciation that he deserved. And if he was honest, and he was honest with uh, the people, the board uh, of the, the institution, he was like, I, I have feelings for her too. But I mean, I, I don't, I can't, you know, I, I want to be faithful to my wife, but um, it's really, really difficult. By this time, um, some rumors had, had, had started generating, and this, town, this college was in a small town. The town newspaper published an expose. Uh, falsely accusing him of, uh, of cheating on his wife with this caretaker. Even though he, he never did, uh, he lost, he was fired. Um, well, he resigned, but he was asked to resign. Um, and he lost uh, what he thought of um, at the time as uh, the ministry that God had called him to. And he looks back now, and, you know, and, and many years have passed and, and, and that, that, the, the sting and the, and the, and the pain has, has receded, but he still looks back, and he looks back and he says, that was my greatest failure. That was the, the one thing, if I could go back through my life and, and take it back, it would be this little episode. And that is what we're going to see in Moses' life today. Let's uh, read the text together. And I'll, I'll fill out some of the context for you when we talk. So, the Israelites, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed at Kadesh. Miriam died there and was buried there. Now, there was no water for the congregation. They gathered together against Moses and, and against Aaron. The people raged at Moses and said, Would that we had died when our kindred died before Yahweh. Why have you brought the assembly of Yahweh into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to bring us to this wretched, awful place? There's no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. 
And Moses and Aaron probably ran from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. This is um, where the Ark of the Covenant is. They fell on their faces, and the glory of Yahweh appeared to them. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the people, you and your brother Aaron, and command the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Thus you shall bring water out of the rock for them. Thus you shall provide drink for the congregation and their livestock. So Moses took the staff from before Yahweh, and as he had commanded him. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels! Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their livestock drank. But Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not keep faith with me, so I could show my holiness before the eyes of the Israelites, therefore you shall not bring this people, this assembly, into the lands I have given them. These are the waters, uh, this place where this happened, the spring. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel raged at Yahweh, and by which he showed his holiness. Really? He smacked the rock, who cares? Come on, God, you're better than this. So, you know, Moses, he, he smacks the rock, and God's, what, upset? And now you don't get to go see the promised land? Really? This is a weird text. Let's take a look. Let's get, let's get a look closer. The first thing to notice, uh, they're, um, they're in Kadesh. Kadesh is actually a, a play on words. Um, so at the very end, it says that uh, God showed his holiness. Um, right there, you can see it on the screen, his holiness. That's the Hebrew word Kadesh. Okay, so there's a, a play on words. And so even when, when God says, I'm going to show them my holiness, what he's saying is I'm going to show them my Kadesh. Um, and probably God's having funding a little bit there. Uh, and so he's going he's gonna, to, and, and then when we find out that Miriam died, uh, we haven't been paying attention to everything in Moses' story, um, but uh, Miriam was Aaron's sister. And, and, and her death kind of signals that what's, something really bad's happening. The, the people have been wandering in the wilderness for a really long time, and the generation of people who uh, were liberated from slavery in Egypt, they're starting to die off. And when they see that Miriam goes down, they're like, uh-oh. They, they've spent the last half of their life. They were liberated from slavery. They've been wandering. They're going to the promised land. Now they're coming to the realization they're not going to make it. And so they start getting a little bit upset, a little bit broken down. I say uh, they raged against Moses and Aaron. If you pick up your pew Bible or uh, other translations, it'll say they complained. They complained against Moses and Aaron. Well, uh, that doesn't work in English because... You know, there's, there's various different levels of complaining. Uh, John, are we, is it, there's no slides or can we, yeah, let's go to the first one with the kids. The first kids slide. Next one. Yeah, there it is. Okay, there's different levels of complaining. <laughs> so what we're going to do here is we're going to have a little, uh, we're going to have a little, okay, so everyone disciplines or manages their children differently. Um, I have some bad news for you. I've talked to Stev quite a bit about this, and he is very displeased with the way you're managing your children. He doesn't have kids, but he hates the way that yours are behaving. And so what we're going to... And rightly so, because they're awful. So here's the question. Whether you're a parent or not, it doesn't matter. I, I, in fact, if you're not a parent, I'd prefer to hear your opinion on this. If you see a kid on the right there, he's rolling his eyes. He's doing what he was asked. It's like, hey, Billy, go take out the trash. Fine. Ugh. 
parents are so lame. What should happen to young Billy? This is a real question. <laughs> okay, yeah. Have you had, what's that? He should get in trouble. Well, what level of trouble are we talking here? Just slight, just like, like, Billy, you should be thankful for the privilege of taking out the trash for me. I can't believe that you're rolling your eyes. Billy, you're, you're better than this. Is that, are we fair with that? Is that good? Everyone agrees? No? <laughs> it's time for a beating. Right? Cool. A lot of child abuse going on here. Uh, just kidding. Not, not, no, no, none of that. All right, well, so, prob- but probably not severe beating, at least, right? Maybe a paddling, but not like a severe. Okay, top left. Um, the, uh, Stev loves this, and he's right, I do too. It's like, so you're at the restaurant, and uh, just, just back into your left, there's a table, um, and, and when the pancakes come out, the kid's are like, I want a bacon! Where's the bacon? And, and you're like, you know, it, it, it's irritating, What's the proper move there? That's top left. They don't, they're like, pancakes only, no bacon? What, what, what do we say? What, what, are they, what, are they, what should they get? Eat your food. A stern command, right. Force them to eat it, right? Like, we're not leaving until you shove that in your face. That's good. It's one. Yeah, any other options? No, no one here is going to eject the kids from the restaurant? I mean, like... <laughs> What we, I, I think at that point, you're like, you're like, you take them outside, you bring the pancakes and be like, you're eating outside, you're ruining it for everyone. I really like humiliate them a little bit. You're at Target. Love Target. But you got to watch out for the toy section. Because there's always some kid flopping on, on the floor going, I want that! I want mommy, give it to me! And they're kicking the floor. It's really, it's a Southern California thing that would never happen in the Midwest. Midwest, they still know how to raise kids. But here, we're very tolerant, too tolerant, in fact. Uh, what should happen to the kid that's, like, kicking on the floor, screaming for a toy? Wait, I, I can't, one of the, a what? Abandon the child. Excellent. Well, what, this row's dirty. Are they? Just when you're around, they're afraid of you. Yeah, Lucas, what would you say? Yeah, toss them out. You're, we're going. We're, do, we're done. Drag them. Yep. I missed it. Oh, grandma. Okay. Buy the toy? Oh. Get out. It's not going to fly here. You're one of these new types of parents. Oh, oh whatever you need, sweetheart. Uh, okay, so those are some, like, I would say, mild probably issues. Check this one out. This, uh, you, can, you can watch this video on YouTube. This kid was, uh, he was playing Fortnite. Fortnite's very popular with the kids these days. It's, uh, you, kids should go around shooting each other in, in the, on the internet. And this guy, he, uh, he had his headset on, and he was, I mean, he's probably 10, 11 years old. He was using language that, uh, well, it's not safe for work. You can't watch this video. Um, but he's, he's yelling and screaming, and uh, he gets shot. And so he, uh, he tears off his headset, he throws it down, he throws his controller, he picks up a hammer, and he smashes the, uh, the TV. So you're at, you know, you're at your friend's house, you're having a nice dinner, 
in the, you're in the living room, in the TV room, you hear the kid being like, expletive, expletive, and you're like, oh, geez, wow, okay. Then you hear the, the thing go down, the headset go down, you hear the, the smashing of the controller against the wall, and then you're curious to see what's going on, you see the kid picking up a hammer, and you're like, oh my gosh, smashing your friend's TV. What should happen to that child? Death. <laughs> Scott, okay, here's the, here's the crazy thing about this text. When Scott says death, that's funny. But in ancient Israel, there was such a thing as a child that was so wayward, usually grown up, um, so evil, so totally out of control, um, that the parents would sometimes have to turn the child over to the town, the village. And the village under, this is Deuteronomy 21, you can check it out, we'll talk about it later. They would literally be encouraged to execute the kid. Yeah. Justice. <laughs> what do I bring this up? I bring this up because, um, so Israel, and we, you may even remember last week, Israel does grumble and complain, right? They're always like, remember, I think it was last week, give us meat, Moses, we want the meat. Right, and then God's like, here's your quail. You have so much you're going to throw up. Okay, that, 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 that word for grumble or complain, that's lin. That's always used when it talks about the Israelites being mean, right? Being like, un, they're entitled. They're like, oh, we want this. They're, always, they're grumbling, okay? And it's lin. This is the only time in all of the wilderness wanderings exodus that the word rav is used. And the word rav is what I said rages, Okay, it means they're on the verge of rioting, and we're going to see uh, in a second that there's a reason for that. Now, before we get there, we have to be a little bit like—I mean, Israel's not doing the right thing. They're being naughty, like really naughty, like super, super bad. They're about to like kill Moses and Aaron, burn down the, the tents of meeting. Not a good situation. But you might be able to sort of understand a little bit. They're exhausted. They're discouraged. They're dying. And that leads uh, to their rage. And that's the first thing in your note sheets. For Israel, exhaustion and discouragement ultimately turn into rage. So let's go back to the text. So Moses, is, Moses and Aaron have just been like, like, these people are picking up stones about to like get rid of them, right? So uh, let's, let's look uh, back at the text here. Um, what, what are they going to do about it? So they exit. They went away, probably ran to the tent of meeting. Uh, the, they bow down inside the tent, um, and, and the glory of the Lord shows before them. Uh, I think a couple weeks ago I showed a picture of what it looked like right above like the Ark of the Covenant, like some, some smoke would probably come out, like a haze, and in that was the glory of God. They're bowed down, right? And, 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 and God says, hey, guys, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go, Moses, take your staff, get all the people together, and you're going to command the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Okay, that's what you're going to do. You're going to go, and you're going to be like, rock? Give the people water. That's what you're, that's what you're going to do. And then you're going to provide drink and all that. Uh, go, going on what actually happens in the text. Let's notice there's a slight difference here. Uh, next slide. Moses gets up. Listen, you rebels. That word rebel, that's the same word for the son that's so disobedient that it must be killed. Right? He's mad. Well, he say, shall we bring water out for you from this rock? Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff. What, what, what do you think is going on there? What's happening? Because God's like, just tell the rock to give them water, right? Command the rock to bring forth water. 
And what does he do? Is, what, what's, what's happening? Is he, is he mad? Is Moses angry? Is that, what, is that what's going on? Um, I, I don't think so. I don't think it's, I mean, he probably is angry, but I don't think, some people think that he's like attacking the rock um, and like, you know, smashing it. Like he's, he's raging. The, the people rage, and so Moses rages right back. But I don't think that's right. I don't think that's what's happening. Notice it says before he does, he lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff. This should remind us of all the different times that we've seen Moses do amazing things. What do you, so when he parts the Red Sea, what does he do? He raises up one hand, raises up the staff in the other. He like, like that, the Red Sea parts, right? Um, we, we've seen when he was fighting the, the battle, remember the one where he had to have help to hold up his staff. He, he raised his staff, and then uh, Aaron and Hur came up and, and held his arms. The idea being like it was almost like a performance, right? He like one hand's over here, like, like that. So the idea then is striking the, the rock. If he's actually doing it in anger, well, it's, uh, it's no different than watching you know, a four-year-old try to break a pinata. It's the uh, worst and most excruciating experience. You give a four-year-old a baseball bat, and they see the pinata, and they, they kind of do this. They like walk around like... <clears throat> give that same baseball bat to a 12-year-old who plays baseball. And this is what the 12-year-old, two hands, steps into it and just smashes the thing. If Moses is angry, if that's what he's doing, he's like mining the rock, well, then you'd expect him to be like, two hands, get into it. Instead, he raises one hand and he strikes twice. Uh, the Hebrew there for um, strike is, uh, it's, it's funny, it's, it, it's probably a play on words too because it gets, it's wayak. Wayak sounds a lot like the English whack. And it means the same, very same thing. He whacks the rock twice. What's he doing? It's a magic act, is what he's doing. He's like, he comes out, he's like, he's like, you want water? Water pops out. You're welcome. It's your buddy Moses. Playing here, doing the thing. Abracadabra, hocus pocus, tap, tap. Go, drink. You're welcome, rebels. What's wrong with that? Shall we bring water out for you from this rock? you uh, read most translations here, um, the, the, the highlighted text here, because you did not keep faith with me so I could show my holiness before the eyes of the Israelites. Uh, most translations are very wooden here because the Hebrew is a bit obscure, uh, but they'll, they'll read, they'll say, um, you didn't trust in me uh, to make my holiness, uh, to make myself holy before the eyes of the Israelites. It's a very strange thing for God to say. Uh, so I could make my, uh, to make myself holy before the Israelites. Does God need to make himself holy? God's already holy. No, the point is, is that the, Hebrew, the Israelites have forgotten how holy God is. They've forgotten that he's awesome, he's majestic, he's glorious, he's amazing, he's wonderful. They've forgotten to be afraid of him. If they were, if they were afraid of God like the way they kind of ought to be, there's no way that they would be like throwing rocks at Moses and Aaron being like, we're going to burn it all down, give us the water. We wish we had died a long time ago. They wouldn't be doing that. They would be cowed, and they would be like, Moses, sir, could you please talk to God? Get us some water, please. That's not where they're at. So 
Uh, the, the Hebrew there for trust is amen, uh, where we get our word amen, let it be. Um, and, it, and it can mean to trust in, but it can also mean in, just as in English. Like, I, I might say, I trust um, in God to provide, right? We might say that. But we also might say, Ryan Gates has my trust. Okay, do you notice the difference there? Ryan Gates has my trust. What I mean by that is, yes, I do believe in Ryan, but one thing I believe about Ryan is Ryan is not going to break faith in me. He's not going to you know, talk behind my back and undermine me and stab me in the back. I, Ryan Gates has my trust. He keeps faith with me, and I know that. Okay? God's saying, Moses, you were supposed to keep faith with me so I could remind these people how holy I am. But you didn't. Instead, you said, we will give you water. Speaking of magic trips, everyone likes Penn and Teller. That Penn and Teller, there they are. Mm-hmm. You guys like Penn and Teller? Yeah? Do you know Penn and Teller? They have uh, the world's longest, um, uh, most, the, they've made more money and been on Vegas longer than any act in history. That's how, that's how popular they are. They're raging atheists. They hate Christians. Uh, they wrote a book about it. Uh, but still, their magic is awesome. Interesting, if you know their shtick, uh, Penn is the one on the left there. He's the one who does all the talking. He's the funny guy. He's the popular one. Okay? So Penn, um, Teller never says a word. He's silent. In fact, most of the time you don't even notice him. He's always kind of off to the side. Um, he's in the background a lot. And, and while he's doing what he's doing, Penn is the one being like, rah, 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 rah. he has this big irritating, rah, 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 rah. And studies show that the reason their shtick works is that people love Penn. And they just don't think about Teller. Because Penn, they think of him as kind of a comedian. He's a funny guy. But if you watch their act, you'll notice something very interesting. As much as Penn talks, he never does anything. Teller does all the magic. It's a very interesting dynamic. And part of it is that they're masters of misdirection. You're focused on Penn so that Teller's doing all kinds of stuff and you don't notice it. And you miss it. In fact, uh, for people who analyze their act, they'll do like these really slow motion things to show you what, Pe- what Teller's up to while Penn's tossing out jokes. Penn gets all the glory and does none of the work. In fact, Penn uh, has been interviewed and he'll say things like, oh, Teller's a way better magician than I am. He's like, he's way better at sleight of hands. He's the one who comes up with most of our new tricks. Not all of them. I just yell. And everybody loves me. The next slide is, uh, is uh, um, Johnny Thompson. He used to be famous, or kind of famous. He was the great Tonsini. He had a Vegas act for years. He and his wife. Nobody here knows who he is. What's interesting is that uh, Penn and Teller, he uh, was their magic consultant for like the last 10 years of his life. He just died this year. A lot of their tricks were his brainchild or brain children. And nobody's ever heard of him. Died in obscurity. 
Well, all the glory and all the fame go to Penn and Teller. Should we make this rock give you water? Me and Aaron? Here you go, you rebels. Who's got the power now? What Moses does here is the greatest failure of his life. Because what he has just done is he's tried to steal God's glory. He's tried to take credit for who God is and what God does. He's relegated God to being the teller or the Johnny Thompson behind the scenes, and he's taken the role of Penn to receive all the adulation, the glory, the awe, the fear, the respect, the majesty that belong to God. This is about the second worst thing you can do to God. If you uh, follow and read through the, uh, the sort of arc of the Bible, there's, uh, in the New Testament they talk about things called like, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the unforgivable sin. This is like the worst thing you can possibly do. And typically what's meant by that is it's, it's, uh, it's taking God's like, honor, glory, um, his works, and attributing that to the enemy, the devil, the deceiver. Okay? That's like the worst possible thing you can do to God. Notice that this is just a little bit less worse or less bad. Right? Instead of attributing God's majesty, glory, and power to the enemy, Moses takes it for himself. And the reason is probably because Moses is kind of sick and tired of the way God's running things. Do you notice like what happens? The people are sitting there throwing stones. Who are they throwing them at? Moses and Aaron. And Moses has to run back over to the tent of meeting again. By the way, this happens a hundred times. He's sick to death of it. His, his, Aaron's sister just died. By the end of the chapter, Aaron's dead too. They're on their last legs. He's exhausted. He's mad. He's angry. He's just sick, and he wants to shut him up. If only they would respect him and think that he's the one who's got the power and the awesomeness. If he just had a little bit of that, that fame and that glory that God has, then he wouldn't have to shrink over and lay down to God. What are you going to do? Are you going to help him? Great. Awesome. And then run back over and be like, here's God doing stuff for you. Instead, he would be like, remember what I can do? Would you just get out of my face and do what I tell you? That's what fame does. I've met a few famous people. They're terrible. Because they're used to people just obeying them. I was on a flight once. Did you guys see that movie uh, Serenity? And then that show Firefly? And then I think she was on like Terminator, Salvation, Summer Glau. She was, uh, I mean, she's not famous anymore, but she had her moment where she was like a big deal. She was on, and she brought a dog onto the plane and I was like, what, planes let dogs on now? And she looked at me and goes, yeah. And I was like, who are you? And I looked at her, I was like, oh, snap, you're Summer Glau. Well, of course, of course they let you have a dog. You're a, you're a goddess, of course. Yes, I'm sorry, ma'am. Moses chooses fame over faithfulness. He makes it about him. Now, 
And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But we do need to see um, the last bit here, the, 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 the result, the response, the, um, the punishment. And so let's go to the text and see what God says. It says, because you didn't keep faith with me so I could show my holiness before the eyes of the Israelites, you're not going to bring this people into the land I've given them. Remember, we've been with Moses for eight weeks now, and, and, if we, and we haven't really read, I mean, there's five books of Moses, well, four books of Moses doing stuff. So there's a huge amount of things that have been going on. But it, if you remember, it started with him being like, I'm going to save this people. And then God's saying to Moses, Moses, you're going to be the one who leads them, frees them from Egypt. He has been leading them and putting up with them. And all the time in his mind, he has his eyes set on this amazing moment where he's going to lead them in. And he's going to be, he's going to be the one who did it. And he's going to be able to live happily ever after. You know, king of the Israelites, amazing leader, amazing prophet. I'll be honest, I feel a little bit bad for Hillary Clinton. Where's Hillary? I was alive during the Monica Lewinsky scandal, and uh, I can't even imagine being Hillary Clinton. It's got to be tough. And then, 2016, was it, did we vote on November 6th? 4th? 5th? Fourth. So we voted on November 4th, and then November 5th we find out, or late night November 4th we kind of find out. That, that was a truly amazing, bizarre day for me. Fourth to the fifth. Because on the one hand, everybody knew that Hillary her entire life had dreamed of being the first female president of the United States of America. And like, it was pretty much a done deal. Like, Everyone, I mean, I, th- I thought she was going to win. I was like, I, people on the TV, they'd been telling me she's going to win for months. So I figured she's got this thing about. And plus, she's going up against the guy who, come on, he, he's a reality TV star. Okay? You're fired. Like, that's what he's known for. Okay? And, and, and that, so you would think that would kind of make sense, that she would, you know, be able to win. And so she, she's going to be the one to, to crack the glass ceiling. It's going to be this amazing moment, uh, you know, for, for women, and, uh, and I just remember how, like, half of the country, like, was, like, just devastated, like, like crying and, and just part of it was they, they'd really invested in her becoming this thing. Part of it was uh, that they were terrified of this guy Trump, uh, but they were just, and then the other half of the country was, like, ding dong, the witch is dead, the wicked witch, the wicked witch, ding dong. It was amazing. It was, like, it was an absolutely mind. You remember. You were there. It was crazy. Absolutely nuts. And so there's a part of me that's like, I, but then I get to think about it. I'm like, you know what, but, 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 she still got to be a senator. That's pretty good. She got to be secretary of state. Can't take that away from her. That's pretty good. She's super rich. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> I can't say that. Uh, up your donations. Never, never quit. Never surrender. <laughs> Right? Like, you know, all things considered, Hillary's had a pretty good run. She's done okay for herself. And yeah, she didn't quite get that one thing that she's like. But I mean, if you're waking up as Hillary Clinton, you can't be like, I don't know, too depressed. 
It's very interesting. So Moses has gone, and he's been dreaming of leading the people into the land his whole life. And God says, no, that's not going to happen. But what God doesn't do is God doesn't say, oh, you're fired. Right? He doesn't pull the Trump apprentice move. You're fired. No, not that. He's still going to be the leader of the Israelites. If you're following in the text, you'll know that he really hasn't done his final, most, uh, his biggest legacy yet. That's the book of Deuteronomy. It's basically Moses' farewell speech to the people. And it, and it, it fully outlines, you know, who God is, what God is like. It's this tremendous moment in his life. That's still to come. Okay? He, he gets to be known for all time as Israel's greatest leader and prophet. And, and if we're honest, like, think about what he did. He tried to steal the glory of God himself. What God should have done is been like, ah, you're done, bro. Instead, God says, you're not going to get your dream. But I still need you to keep working. I still need you to be great. yeah, I should probably get rid of you and blot your memory from the face of the earth for what you've done. But I still love you. I'm still on your side. I still want good things for you. And you and me, we're not done yet. Moses' loss is bitter, but God is radically gracious, even in punishment. My friend, uh, he, so he lost this job. Um, you know, sort of the pinnacle of his career as the president of a college. Uh, what I didn't tell you is at the time he was living um, in sort of the armpit of the world. It's, uh, it's called Birmingham, England. Uh, it just sounds like an awful, awful place. Since he lost that job... Um, he didn't know what he was going to do. And just uh, a few months after uh, he had resigned, um, there was an offer for him to come and teach uh, at, a, at a school in a much, much nicer area. Um, Pasadena, California. Maybe not as prestigious, but way, way better. And what he didn't know at the time was that uh, he thought he knew what his legacy was going to be, but it, it turned out that wasn't the case, that uh, he, he and his wife moved um, to, to California. And uh, he then, in the world of theolo- theological writing, he, he wrote a best-selling trilogy. So he probably made maybe six, $700 on that. Um, just the margins aren't great in uh, theological publishing. Uh, but, but the prestige is, and, and he, he came to a level of prominence that he never would have um, in Birmingham, England. And so he would say uh, to his friends, he would say, you know, be faithful, not famous. Do what God asks and give him the glory. And even when you forget and even when you screw up, he's still going to be good to you. I know because he was to me. So let's think about it. I mean, it, it, you know, for us, you know, it's, 
It's not like we're sitting around and God's like, do this miracle. And we're like, hey, I'm doing this miracle, not God. That never happens, you know. So it's a little bit difficult maybe to, to make a connection between, you know, in our hearts and our lives. What, what it, would it be? What is it like for us? What it, does it look like for us to try and steal God's glory? And I think that we can probably pretty much just lay it out by saying, making it about me, right? When we make it about me. That's, that's the, the, the tendency, that's, the, the, that's what we want to do, is we want to look around and, and we know that God's behind the scenes doing all this stuff, you know? And we know that he's making everything possible, but, but our, our deep, dark temptation is to make it about us. And so I got a couple of questions here, some, some things to check off the list, just to, some gut check stuff to see if there's maybe a place in our lives where we're making it about us, where we're stealing God's glory, and therefore putting ourselves in a lot of danger, a lot of like, oh, this is not where we want to be. So the, the first question that we can ask ourselves is when people appreciating us, are they also appreciating God? And this is, a, this is an interesting question because, you know, we go about, we do our thing, right? And, and if we're good at what we do and we're successful, people will appreciate us. They'll be like, oh, you, you know, you're, you're awesome. You're great. Are they seeing, though, that it's not just us being great? Are they seeing through us to God? Or are they just seeing us? I think that's probably way more difficult, you know, if you're, for those of us who are, you know, working in the real world with real jobs where you have to wake up at a normal time, like, it's very difficult for people who appreciate us to, be, to see that really where, what they, who they ought to be appreciating is God. They're seeing us do a good job, they're seeing us be a great colleague, whatever, but it's hard for them to see that really what we're about, what we're really trying to do is honor Him. And it, it might be difficult for us to make that a reality. And yet it should be. It really, it really should be. Number two, when we say God gets the glory, do we mean it? Do people believe us? I, I, I confess. People will be like, you know, when God does something awesome, especially with like health, you know, my, so someone says, oh, Tom, you know, we were praying and, and this happened for so-and-so. And I'll say, praise God. And I mean that, but I also kind of mean, praise the doctors, <laughs> praise modern medicine. I, there's, a, there's a part of me that's not fully all in on the notion that really this is God's glory. That God has, of course, God's working through all the things, but, but God has been at work. God has done these things. And we'll say things like, God, we give you all the glory and honor. This is Christianese. People come into the church like, God, you get all the glory and honor, says the person with the bright light on them. Like, oh God, you get all the glory and honor. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Like, sometimes we're a little suspicious. Like, did God get all the glory or are you kind of stoked about yourself? Right? Number three, how often do we promote the people around us? It's a big one. Are you the sort of person who acknowledges the people around you. Give credit to Penn. Penn, like, he's always heaping praise on Teller. Um, he, he's constantly, like, anytime people ask him, and they're like, Penn, you're so amazing. He's like, yeah, I'm okay. But, but Teller's actually kind of the brains behind the, 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 and you should appreciate him too. Are we promoting the people around us, or are we like, yes, I am awesome. Thank you. Thank you for noticing. Because if you're the sort of person who is, you know, pushing off some of that glory and praise onto others, you may also be the kind of person who's looking to make sure that God's getting God's share, too. Number four, 
Do we talk more about what we've done or what God has done? This is a tough one, man, because, you know, we have to confess that that there's a sort of synergy that goes on, right? Like, you know, God is at work, but it does seem like, you know, if you don't do stuff, like in my case, if I don't sit down and write the book, the book's not going to get written. God's not going to, like, write that book for me. And so people are like, oh, what are you up to? I'm working on my book. Well, but isn't a part of that, Tom, like you're submitting so that, 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 that God can hopefully work through you? Is it really just you're sitting down? Or is it that you're a part of something that God's up to? And which part are you talking about? Number five, last but not least, how much of what we do comes from a desire to be adored? I don't think we'll ever really know the answer to that question until people actually stop adoring us for what we do. Um, it's, human beings were highly motivated by praise, by acknowledgement. And really what reveals who we are is when people stop caring about what we've accomplished and done. When they stop giving us the kudos, when they stop smiling, when they just lose interest. At that moment, do we still keep going because God's called us to it and it's for his glory and his love and his adoration? Or do we take our bat and go home? Be faithful, not famous. Let's pray. Gracious God, we uh, confess as a people that you are glorious, that you deserve um, the honor, that you deserve the adoration, that you deserve um, people to look and acknowledge and, and appreciate you. And yet, God, we also confess that we're... Um, we make it about ourselves, that we do seek uh, fame and acknowledgement. And sometimes, God, we uh, step in between you and the glory you deserve. I pray, God, that you'll stir your spirit up in this place to make us people who um, are just so passionate and so desirous of you getting the honor, you getting the glory, that we start to fade away, that we start to recede. That we'll just get so bound up in being faithful to you uh, that we'll forget uh, to try and be famous. We love you, God. We thank you that even when we didn't deserve it, you were radically gracious to us in giving us Jesus and dusting us up and, and, and sending us forward with new life. And that even when we stumble and fall, even when we have to face consequences, even in that, you're gracious. Even in that, you're good to us. We just honor you and praise you. And we do, God, we as a people give you the glory for it because you deserve it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.